0: Hey, good morning, church. My name is Gavin. So good to see you guys. I serve as one of the pastors here for this church family, City Light. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to hit 16 more verses in our Gospel of John series. Uh, I hope it's been meaningful to you. I have loved studying the Gospel of John. Um, It's been one of my favorite books for the past 17 whatever years that I have read the Bible and known God, and uh, it's just like reading again for the first time. The Word of God is so good, so good. As you turn to John in chapter six, I'll start off by saying uh, my, my family went over to uh, some friends' house on Friday night for dinner. Uh, our friends Kristen and Todd, we had a, a great dinner at their house, and she is a wonderful cook, and he's almost as good as me at grilling. And so we were really in for a treat. And so he, um, they got these bacon wrapped fillets that were delicious and not like the little ones. Like really, it was like, you know, like two strips of bacon to get around the circumference of this thing. And she made pasta with chicken in it and homemade bread and fruit and salad. And then she made two homemade pies and this big pan of brownies and very thoughtful people. They made steaks for all of us. So like, you know, two giant steaks for my kids, one for every adult. Well, that was terrific, and I didn't tell them. They're going to know now because they're here, but my kids don't really eat steak very much. Um, But I didn't tell them that because I put my kids' steak on my plate, and then my oldest son, Grady, he'll eat a little bit, so I cut him a few bites, and then I've got like 36 ounces of filet mignon in my plate and I smashed every bite of it. You better believe I pounded it. And then all the carbs, and then all the sugar, and the evening kind of commenced on the, on the couches with some dessert, and we're talking, and my eyelids are getting heavy. All of the blood in my body is right here trying to digest a thousand pounds of meat in my belly. And I thought to myself in that moment, I will not have to eat for another week. Have you been there? Have you ever been so full you thought, I don't, I mean, this could probably sustain me for the rest of my life. I will not eat again. But here's the punchline. I wake up the next morning, guess what? I'm hungry again. I thought I was so full yesterday, but I ate so much honey bunches of oats with the little almonds. That's the best one with the almonds because it crunches. And I ate, I think my belly was stretched out. And then it wanted more food. And and, and that's just the way it works. No matter how full you get, you will always be hungry again. Now listen, I say that because that's the exact setting of our text today. It's exactly what's going on. Remember, last week, Joe preached a sermon about the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus takes a little boy's Lunchable. He multiplies it into a mighty feast for 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children. So much food that there are baskets full of leftovers to go into the refrigerator and the little Ziploc things. And they had a feast. Now, the scene is this. It's the next morning. And the people come back to him, and they're hungry again, and they want some breakfast. And what we're going to see in our text today is that Jesus is going to use this theme of returning hunger, being hungry again, to teach us something about our deepest hunger. To teach us that our deepest hunger can only be satisfied in him, the bread of life. And just like we all get physically hungry, City Light, we all get spiritually hungry. This week, we will all hunger after something. We all want to know, we have a spiritual hunger. Am I valuable? Am I wanted? Do I belong to something? Am I connected with something greater than myself, something greater than this world? We have a spiritual hunger, and there's bread of this world um, that we will try to consume, that will try to fill us up, that will only leave us hungry again. And so from Facebook likes to job promotions, sexuality and success, drinking too much, working too much, shopping too much, finally having a spouse, finally getting kids, finally getting... The spouse out of the house, finally getting the kids off to college. Whatever it is, the the proverbial breads of life will always leave us hungry the next day. But in John 6, Jesus is going to tell us that he is the bread of life, that he is the one source, the one satisfaction in this life that won't leave us hungry the next morning that will actually stick to the ribs, that will keep us filled in this life and in the life to come. And so here's what I want to do. As we go through this famous section on the bread of life this morning, I want to go through a very familiar text with very fresh and alert eyes. I want to ask you, as we study this, ask yourself the question, honestly, am I trying to fill my life and find satisfaction in life with the junk food of this world? Are, Are there the breads of this world that I'm trying to consume my life? And also ask yourself the question, is Jesus really my bread of life? Right? I mean, we're going to read that he is the bread of life, but I want you to ask the question, is he really my bread of life? Is he my sustaining, life-giving satisfaction in this life? And so we've got 16 verses this morning. We're going to be in 25 uh, to 40. And uh, I'm going to break it up in three sections, imagine that, uh, by way of application. I- I'm going to drive home three points of application as we go through this. And the first one is this, I'd encourage you to write it down in your program, in your iPhone, whatever, tweet it out. Number one is this, do the work of God. You might go, what is that? It'll make sense in a minute. But the first application, I want us to do the work of God. Here we go, uh, look with me at verse 20. 5. It says when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him rabbi when did you come here Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you you were seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves.' so here it is they find Jesus it's the next morning they've woken up They look for Jesus. He's not there. He's just gone across the lake, and so they get in their boats. They paddle to find him, and they have not had breakfast, and so they are what the Bible calls hangry. That's the Greek word. It's angry and and hungry. All this. I'm just kidding, Uh, but they are. They're hangry, and uh, they want breakfast, and I get hangry. Do you get hangry? I get hangry in the morning. The worst moment for me is when I have not met with Jesus. No quiet time. I get my cereal out. I go to get the milk, and my wife has not purchased milk. And when there's no milk, I'm hangry. I mean, this is a fleshly moment for me. How do we not have milk? I cannot start my day without milk. And I get a little bit edgy. I get a little irritated. I get hangry. That's these guys. They come to Jesus. Hey, that's the guy that made the fish and chips. You know, there's the, there's the fish fillet guy. Hey, we're hungry. Jesus, feed us once again. And they look at him and he says, hey, you, didn't, you just came here because you're out of food. And they're like, so yeah, so you got a Pop-Tart? No, okay. You got Cheerios. No, okay. Toastios. Any of you all grow up poor like me? We never had Cheerios. It was Toastios. We had we had Honey Nut Scooters. Never had the real Cheerios until I actually got a real job myself. Nothing. Jesus got nothing. Now watch how Jesus uses this hangry moment, this moment of physical need, to teach them a gospel truth. Here's what he says in verse 27. He says, "Do not work for the food that perishes." But for the food that endures through eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now watch what Jesus is doing here. He's using their physical hunger to start to show them that they're actually hungry for something more. Something more satisfying. He's saying, you guys are getting all stalkerish and and tracking me down and going to great lengths just to get a Pop-Tart, but I'm telling you, don't go to such great lengths for things that aren't going to stick to your ribs. There's something more satisfying that you're really after, and I am the one who came here to give it to you. I came to bring you a kind of bread that won't just get you through to tomorrow morning, but will sustain your life and on into eternity. And so they ask him, yeah, we want this bread. How do we get it? What's the work of God that we can get this super bread that will really stick to the ribs? And so watch what they say. Verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Boom, hashtag gospel bomb. Did you hear that? Here is the work of God. What do we have to do to get eternal life? What do we have to do? To be satisfied. Here's the work. You want to labor? Believe in the one. Believe in him whom God has sent. What a a paradigm exploding gospel truth from Jesus. Their question is natural. Jesus says, Hey, you want this kind of temporary bread. God wants to bring you a greater bread. And they think, great, how do we work for it? How do I earn it? What do I do got to do to get it? And it's a natural question because I say this all the time. All the systems of this world are that first you achieve and then you receive, right? I've yet to have an employer who paid me on Monday for the work that I would do Monday through Friday. I'm 34. It's never happened to me. I've always done the work, and then I get a paycheck. Uh, I never once got an A on the first day of class. Here's your A. Here's your diploma. I'm sure you'll do great. We'll see you at the end of the semester. No! You study. You do your work. That's the way it works, and this is, it's good. We should work, and we should study, and we should labor. You're right. You don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. We labor for food. But then Jesus comes with this gospel bomb that blows the paradigm out of the water of every other system of this world, which says, I have come to do all the work for you. I've done all the achieving. The only thing that's left for you to do is believe and receive. What a paradigm-shaping truth. Someone tweet that out. Jesus does the achieving. We do the receiving. Jesus does the achieving, we do the believing. He does all the work, so there's no work left to do, but yes, there is work. It's to believe in him whom he sent. That was the whole point of the loaves and fishes miracle, by the way. Yes, our Lord is compassionate. Yes, he will meet our needs, but this whole thing, don't you see it? It's It's a parable of the gospel. Picture the scene. Here's thousands of people on a hillside. They didn't pay attention to the clock. They didn't pack a lunch, and they have nothing, and now they have a need. And what does Jesus do for them? He does for them what they could never do for themselves. He comes in and does what they could never accomplish on their own. He feeds them and provides for them. There was nothing they could do to work for their food. There was nothing they could do to deserve their food. Nothing. Jesus gives it to him as a gift. And now he's saying, see, all of that was but a parable of the living bread, which is me." What do you do to earn the love of God, the bread of life that will give you life in this life and in the life to come? This is the work of God, that you believe in Jesus. And so City Light, lean forward. I need to ask you, are you believing Jesus? Are you doing the work of God? Are you actively believing in and on the person of Jesus? And let me, let me point out, this is, this is application for both the non-Christian and the Christian, okay? Some of you might be saying, aha, what a great gospel message, Just in case a non-Christian is in the room, tell them that they have to believe in Jesus to get eternal life. That's true. How are we saved? We are saved by believing. We hear the word of God. We believe the word of God. We pass from death to life. We need to believe for the first time that Jesus is the sinless son of God who came to take away our sins, that he lived, died, and rose again for our salvation. We believe him and we cross from death to life. first john this is the testimony god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son he who has the son has life he who does not have the son of god does not have life so we believe to become a christian but listen we believe in jesus to grow and mature as christians as well we don't just believe to get on the team and then focus on all behavior no we believe and we keep on believing it's an active thing it's work We need to do the work to believe Jesus, to believe his word, to believe what he says, to actually ingest that and believe that and live that out. Let me give you an example. How does believing Jesus, believing his gospel change us? Well, I've heard some of you guys are proud and it must stink for you um, because that's a sin. Raise your hand if you're a proud person. Okay, the people with their hands in the air, those are the humble people, okay? Uh, The people with their hands down, those are the real proud people. I tricked you. Did you see that? You know why? Because we're all proud. So no pressure. Welcome to the team. I'm the captain of the proud team. The whole thing was that, you know, I'm the most proud person in the room. So now listen, the Bible ethics says we aren't to be, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? We are to be humble people. So how do we grow in humility? Say, well, quit being so proud. Quit being so, no, no, no. We grow by believing. We believe Jesus. How does believing Jesus and his gospel make us humble? Well, listen, you got to believe, okay. If I am really so sinful and wicked that God himself had to become a human just to save me from my sins, it makes it really hard for me to turn my nose up at you and look down at, it, at you in judgment, doesn't it? How can you be proud when you know you had to be saved by God himself? And so we believe Jesus and we believe his gospel and it, it changes us, it humbles us. Now, now, conversely, other side of the coin, how many of you actually struggle with Confidence? You're an insecure person. It's really tough to be Now I tricked you again, because if your hands up, you had enough confidence to put it up. Those of you with the hands down, you're the really insecure ones. I got gotcha. you. You should have learned the first time. Here's how I know that. We all struggle with insecurity. It's such a funny game we play. We're so proud and yet so insecure at the same time. OK. Well, the gospel says we need to have confidence in Christ. God did not give us a spirit of timidity and fear, but of love, and, right? So how do we get there? Do we just say, well, quit being insecure and keep your chin up, buddy? No, no, no. It's believing. It's believing. How does believing Jesus and his gospel give us confidence? Well, you can say, if you really believe that God loves you so much that he was willing to put on flesh and come down to save you, how can that not fill you with a feeling of exception? and redemption, and love, and acceptance. Do you see? We can be humble because we believe in Jesus. We can be confident because we believe in Jesus, but we need to do the work of believing. It's labor to open this book, to read it, to ingest it, to believe it. If I'm honest with you, the moments when I'm most insecure, most short with my wife, most angry, uh, most sinful is not when Jesus has changed, but when my belief in him is starting to change. And listen, it's labor to come back and say, no, 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 Gavin, you believe what this word is telling you. You believe that Jesus is good, that he can provide, that he is in control, that he is bigger than my circumstances, and I have to command my heart, Gavin, believe the word of God, that he has not forgotten you, that he has not forsaken you, that his grace is sufficient for you. Do you see it, City Light? We need to do the work of believing, and so if you're not a Christian, I invite you, believe in Jesus. Put your trust in him. If you are a Christian, I invite you, believe and keep on believing. This is the work of God, not behavior management, not being more religious, more church going, but believing more and more, and letting that change us from the inside out. So I encourage you, implore you, do the work of God. Believe Jesus. Number two, second application is this. I want us to be a church that's learning to Feast on the bread of life. Feast on the bread of life. Look with me at verse 30. It goes on. Jesus has sort of already told him how to get the bread of life. Now he's going to start to show him more particularly what the bread of life is. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven. So Jesus' Jewish audience is essentially saying, okay, we're supposed to believe in you whom he sent. Well, who are you? Give us a sign. You know, our fathers, were the chosen people, our our patriarchs, our ancestors, they had a sign from God. He gave them food, and it was called manna. Of course, they're referring to the Exodus. When God's people had been a slave to Egypt, they had been, you know, ransomed and sent out of slavery. Now they're in the wilderness and they're hungry and they complain to God, God, we don't have any food. And God says, I will give you food. And he shows them a sign because when they wake up in the morning, here is manna from heaven. Manna literally means, what is it? What is this? They wake up, there's the stuff on the grass. What is this? They eat it, it's good. What's it called? What is it? Literally, manna. What is it? God gave us a sign. He gave us manna. And for 40 years, he gave us this sign that he was providing for us, that he was with us. And Jesus is actually going to redirect their attention back to him. Watch what he says in verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. He's saying, that was just the sign. I am the substance. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's saying, I have something better than manna. So they say, verse 34, sir, give us this bread always. In other words, how do we get it? And then here comes the second gospel bomb. Here comes the second punchline of the text, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the sustaining substance. I am the greater manna from heaven. From the very beginning, all signs have pointed to me, the one provider. See, the manna sustained temporary life, but Jesus gives us eternal life. The manna sustained life for the Jewish people, but Jesus comes and gives life to the whole world. With the manna, God did give a good gift, but with Jesus, God gave us Himself. Did you know the best gift God could ever give us is Himself? It's pretty easy to, you know, I can get after these guys. It's like, how dense are you guys? You're standing before Jesus, give me a Pop-Tart, you know, and you're just you're missing the gospel point. He's the bread of life. But listen, we do it all the time. We come to Jesus for the things that we can get from Jesus, and we miss Jesus. There's a, there's a popular and prevalent and pernicious theology that has made its way into the church, and it can come into ours and it's called the Prosperity Gospel. Uh, Joe talked about it briefly last week. And the Prosperity Gospel essentially says, you know, come to Jesus and he will give you all the bread that you could ever want, that you could ever need. Come to Jesus, he's a bread factory. You know, come to Jesus, have faith in him, and, and you will never be sick. And no one in your family... Will be said, come to Jesus, and He will give you wealth and prosperity, because God wants His children to prosper. Come to Jesus, and He will give you six-pack abs and a four-car garage and white teeth and a nice hairline, and you'll never lose your job or struggle with wayward kids, and your taxes will never go up in Douglas County. <laughs> and Jesus is coming. He's actually pushing back against that theology, saying, "No, no, no, no! Don't you see? I am the gift." I am the blessing. I am the bread of life. City light. We don't come to Jesus to get prosperity. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. We don't come to Jesus to get wealth. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. He is the greatest gift that we could ever have. And I know this is a redundant message from this pulpit, but I got to bring it every every week because our hearts will wander. City Light, I want us to be a church that knows Jesus, that loves Jesus, that feasts on Jesus, that is honestly and earnestly satisfied in Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is our treasure. And So let me, let me say two things about this, because it's one thing to say that in a nebulous, ethereal kind of way. Jesus, 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 Jesus. But he gives us this practical analogy of being the bread of life because I think he's teaching us how to feast on him. There's something about this true belief, this true faith, let me, let me share with you two things I think we learned from this. When he says, I am the bread of life. I think we learned, number one, that belief in Jesus is intimate. It's intimate. If you think about this, you know, well, later in verse 51, he says, I am the bread of life. you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? Now, there's no cannibals in the room that I know of. If you are, I won't taste good. I eat lots of refined sugar, and I'm addicted to caffeine. Chris eats all organic and works out. I'm just saying... There's donuts in the back. Love you. Bless you. You're welcome here, but control yourself. But Jesus isn't referring to cannibalism. That's what a lot of the early pagans thought. You know, those Christians, they're cannibals. No, 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 He's describing something uh, spiritual and mystical. He's saying, just as you take a physical bread I, and consume it, spiritually, you must do the same thing with me. And that's the most, think about it. It sounds weird. It's one of the most intimate acts you'll do all week is Eating. It's the most intimate interaction with anything. What do you do? You're taking something foreign to yourself, outside of yourself. You're putting it in your body and relying on it to sustain you and give you life, right? It's not out there somewhere. Jesus is a good morality teacher. Jesus is a good religious figure. He's a, a good person from, you know, history to point my children to so they don't screw up and get booted out of school and get put in jail. No, no, no. no. He wants to be inside of you. This is the God, the king, creator of the universe, who says, I want to be inside of you and make you a new creation and change you from the inside out. That's why Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. And what is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's, It's Jesus Christ, a living person, living inside a living person. Belief in Jesus is intimate. It's him inside of you. Second thing I think we learn is that true belief is active. It's not only intimate, it's active, and it's daily. Right? He says, I am the bread of life. Now, I have a loaf of bread here. There's a lot of things I could do with this bread. I could I can look at the bread. I can smell the bread. It doesn't smell that good, but I'll say it will just for the sermon illustration. Mmm, smells good. Fresh. No, it's not. <laughs> I can take the bread. I can throw it at Chris. There you go. Eat that, Marky. There's lots. I, I can believe rightly about this bread. This bread will give sustenance to my body, right? This bread will keep me living. I doctrinally believe right things about this bread. There's wheat and there is whatever. I don't know what's in bread, right? But none of that helps me. What do I have to do with the bread? I have to actually put it in my mouth, chew it, and swallow it. It's an active thing. I need to actually not only believe what that bread is, but apply it to my life. I need to lean in and ingest it. And what I'm saying is belief in the bread of life, Jesus, is an active process. It's not I prayed a prayer when I was in the fourth grade. No, to find our sustenance in him, we need to to lean into him. We need to actively believe Jesus. What that means is we need to evaluate his claims and actually believe his promises. That means if we're going to say, oh, you know, Jesus is king, Well, no, he's not, unless he actually has rule and reign in your life. Oh, Jesus is my Savior. Well, is he really? I mean, honestly, are you depending on him and his righteousness, or are you still trying to prop up your religious record, your morality, your church attendance? I'm basically a good person. No, 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 no. Faith is active. We need to believe in him as Savior, believe in him as Lord, wrestle with his truth. And when we disagree, he wins. We let him win. We submit to him. Faith is active. And so I want us to be a church that that is feasting on the bread of life, feasting on the bread of life. Here's our last application. I got one more. Last application is this. I want us to be a people in a church that is resting in Jesus' keeping. Write down rest in Jesus' keeping keeping. Let me show you our last verses, starting at verse 37. We'll go through 40. Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. What a gospel promise. What a promise. Whoever looks upon Jesus, you behold him, you believe in him, and you will be raised on that last day. And he says, I will never lose you. It's amazing. I want you to know I have the spiritual gift of losing stuff since I was a little kid. I have family in the room. They can attest to this. I lose keys, wallets, phones, backpacks, bags, commentaries. I own three Bibles because one is always lost. They cycle through it. Resurfaces. I lose another one. And so if any of you have seen my brown Bible, uh, let me know. I, in the fourth grade, I lost a turtle. I had a pet turtle run away. His name was Hermie. For real. It's a true story. Ask my sister. I let him outside to get some sunshine I've got, I'm a little aloof, especially when I was a child, easily distracted, hashtag ADHD, doesn't matter. Anyway, I lost a pet turtle. I lose everything. You know who doesn't lose anything? Jesus. Listen to this. He says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on that last day. Listen, City Light, if we could do the work to earn our own salvation, then we could lose it. If we could labor enough To earn God's love, then we could lose God's love. But pay attention to what Jesus says. I'm not making up some doctrinal statement. This is Jesus. He says, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. What a promise. It's God that calls us, God that elects us, God that saves us, and God that keeps us in his love. From A to Z, it's God's doing in our life. And what is our job? To receive and believe, to receive it, to worship God for it. And it's hard for us to get because we're so predisposed to conditionality. What are the terms of the agreement? What will get me kicked off the team? What can I lose to do this? We want to know the terms, but here's the amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is all on God's terms. It's God's radical one-way love accomplished by Jesus and kept by Jesus. He does the saving, and he does the keeping. So what do we do? We believe, and we feast on Jesus, and nothing can take us away from the love of God. He's called us and he will keep you. Now, you know, the natural question some will ask, well, what does that mean? I can, I can commit whatever sin I want to. Could I do this, this, and this and get myself kicked out of the kingdom? Could I get away with this? And listen, my response to that is that if you're honestly asking that question, then you're not believing and feasting in Jesus, okay? If you know, love, and trust Jesus, you will do everything you can to honor him, not out of fear, but out of love. Do you know the main reason I'm compelled not to cheat on my wife? It's not primarily because I fear losing her. It's precisely because she made a covenant before God to never leave me. I don't fear her leaving me. I fear hurting the one who has vowed her whole life to be my partner and to love me and to stay with me. And I'm motivated not by fear of punishment, by her fidelity and commitment to me. That's the gospel. Why do we obey Jesus? Because we love him. Because he loves us. Because he saved us. Because he's committed himself to us. What a promise! Jesus saves us, and Jesus keeps us. City Light, I would just personally say, if I could lose my salvation, I would. If God's love for me was based on my commitment to him, he wouldn't love me. I'm half-hearted at best on a good day. (laughs) God's love for me is based on Christ's commitment to me. And how committed was Christ to me? It took him all the way to the cross. How committed is God to you? He sent his son to live, die, and rise for you. His love for you held him on the cross. So what is our response? We rejoice, we worship, we believe, we obey out of gratitude and love. But gospel behavior is motivated out of love, not out of fear. Jesus is the one who keeps us. I'll end with this. I want this to be very practical, okay? I don't want it to be nebulous and ethereal. He's the bread of life. Listen, this, this should have teeth into our lives. And so here's how I want to challenge us. This week, we're all going to get spiritually hungry, Okay? We're gonna do all kinds of things to find life and fulfillment and satisfaction. We're gonna listen to music, we're gonna look at Facebook, we're gonna go to our jobs. Like I said, some will drink too much, some will shop too much, some will eat too much, some will work too much. But I I wanna ask us this: what would it actually look like if we very practically decided we are gonna find our life in Jesus this week? We're gonna open our Bibles and we're gonna actively engage with His Word and we're gonna command our souls, souls believe this, claim this. Live in light of this. What if rather than looking for validation and affirmation from all of our peers and our parents and our kids and our employers and our employees, we said, no, I'm secure in Christ Jesus. I find my life and satisfaction in him. And what if we actually believe that he's sustaining and empowering us to worship and enjoy and walk with him, to find our life in his words and his works and in no other place. Jesus is the bread of life. Let's believe that this week, amen? Amen. Let's respond fittingly. Uh, by celebrating communion this morning. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This morning we're gonna eat bread. We're gonna be reminded that that the bread of life actually broke his body for us, that his blood was poured out for us. And so if I can find my way in my Bible, uh, listen to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where we find our instructions. It says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also we took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you have received Jesus, if you have believed in him, if you have trusted the bread of life, you are welcome to the Lord's table. Uh, this, is a, this is a meal for those who have trusted and received him. If you've not, we'd invite you not to come to the Lord's table. It means nothing to you. This is bread and this is juice. Oh, but to us who know the bread of life, it's everything. To be reminded of what he's done for us. And so by way of instruction, the band will play. Uh, we will rise and sing. And there's no ushers. Anytime you come forward. Uh, The community servers will break the bread for you, hand it to you. You dip it in the juice, partake that way. If you have any gluten or food allergies, you have a special station in the back, as well as uh, there's a prayer team in the back. And I don't know what you need prayer for. Uh, You can certainly pray silently to yourself, but there's also a team that would love to pray with you. Maybe you've been eating the junk food of life, and it just hasn't satisfied. Sexuality, success, the perfect family. All the various idols that you thought were going to give you life, they disappointed. Maybe you just like to surrender your heart afresh to Jesus. Say, you're it. You're the one thing I've been looking for. Maybe you want to become a Christian this morning. You can do that. You just cry out to Jesus. I believe in you. You are the bread of life. You lived, died, and rose to forgive my sins and give me new life. There will be a team to pray with you. I'd invite you to do that. Let me pray. Jesus, there is life found in no other place than you. In you, we have life eternal. But God, until we know you, there is no life. You are our bread of life. And God, would you just minister to us even now as we take communion? Would it be meaningful? Not a trite religious ritual, but we would remember there is a God who became flesh, who is our bread of life, and he died and rose for me. And so God, minister to our hearts. Help us to believe you more and more, even as we now celebrate you in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.